Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll have another edition of the Bean Reports. Also, Glendalee Allen Vossler will have details on the 2022 Wheat Midge Outlook. And up first in today's country comment, I'll chat with crop nutrition specialist John Hurd. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba Agriculture says repeated rains and warm soils have led to widespread nitrogen fertilizer losses. Here's crop nutrition specialist John Hurd. Coming out of last year, a lot of the droughted area had a lot of carryover nitrogen. That uh, farmers, uh, uh, we were counting on that to help feed this 2022 crop. And with the excessive moisture and snow that we had in April, uh, we actually measured a bunch of those fields and, and, and learned that, yes, there had been some movement of that nitrogen. Even in the clay soil, it, it moved from the top six inches into the subsoil. Not a problem because we, we still get most of that. But in, in average, fields were about 35 pounds less nitrogen on the clay. A lot, less, a lot more losses on sandy soils because uh, they, they leach quite readily. So we know we had some of those losses early. But in combination with the, the, the ongoing wet weather we've had since then, uh, some standing water in fields and things, uh, I've had a number of calls from agronomists and farmers wondering, you know, what amount of losses have I had and is it worth doing something about? Is it just a matter of uh, all the rain we've had here so far this spring? or? Um, to, to, yeah, yes, it is. It, it, it's wet soils and it's... Uh, uh, what that water does to the soil, it, it, uh, on lighter soils or, or coarse, sandy soils, it'll tend to move that down. Uh, maybe not out of the root zone. You know, last year when it was dry, we accessed nitrogen far deeper than normally we would. But uh, certainly we've measured on sandy soil some of this nitrogen moving down the two to four foot depth. Um, not, not as far on the clays. But our, our real problem is once our clay or any soil actually gets waterlogged and standing water on it, uh, then nitrogen, once it's in that nitrate form, uh, the soil bugs run out of oxygen, and then they start using our nitrogen, and they gas it off as N2 gas, which is of no use to the farmer. Uh, Those losses can be pretty high in Manitoba conditions. When the soils are cool, we lose 2 to 4 pounds of nitrogen a day under those saturated soils, and it's even greater than that once the soils warm up. Uh, the bugs get revved up in the soil, and they, they use up quite a bit of nitrogen. What are, what are some symptoms, you know, that, uh, that can show some of these losses on, on the crops? Well, uh, you need to have a, a, a somewhat advanced crop, like at least the tillering stage or more. At that point, then they will start uh, uh, drawing on soil nitrogen reserves, and uh, we would see yellowing. Now, every farmer is going to say, hey, that's, that's also a symptom of wet soil. And usually the two are hand in hand. Uh, but uh, what is really helpful is if there are any overlaps or areas where a nitrogen uh, strip, a, a higher nitrogen rate has been put down, and that allows you to gauge, is this due to nitrogen or, or just wet feet? And uh, provides you with a, a bit of a yardstick as you know, how much more might I need to apply? Uh, our, our guidelines, and certainly not everyone is dealing with those types of losses. 
But uh, if farmers are, our, our, our guidelines are, are fairly simple, similar as what Americans often use, and that is that if yield potential is still good out there, uh, we need to assess yield potential. And then if the losses have been high, we could be putting on a half to two-thirds of uh, the nitrogen we started with. But if, if yield potential uh, is reduced and losses are high, we'd say no more than a third of the nitrogen you started with. And similarly, if, if losses are gauged moderate, uh, but yield potential is good, again, up to a third uh, of the, the nitrogen you'd start with. So uh, a bit of a, a, a rough guideline needs to be assessed on a field-by-field basis. And really, it's, it, at this point, it's, it's a trained eye. Uh, either the farmers or the agronomist that helps them make that call, whether that's even warranted. And with with the drop in in prices, nitrogen prices, you know, is that something that might lead uh, to um, a, a top dressing here uh, in crop? Uh, I, I think it'll make that decision a little easier. Uh, one of the things, though, even though nitrogen is lower cost, it probably still needs to be protected. Uh, laying nitrogen on the soil surface right now is still going to need rainfall to get it into the soil. And boy, I tell you, nitrogen sitting on a hot, windy surface like what we've had, uh, losses due to volatilization could be, could be quite high. So I'd really be, unless there's rain in the forecast, I'd be advising growers to use a, uh, an inhibitor like uh, Agrotain, something like that to protect that until we do get some rainfall. All right. Any other um, advice here, John? Or? Uh, no, just uh, leaving people with the point that it's it, it's uh, a field-by-field assessment of both potential losses, but also the remaining yield potential. I've had some growers tell me that, you know, I'm already downgrading my yield potential because of late seeding, and so the remaining nitrogen is probably going to be adequate to meet that. And I say, you know, that, that's a very shrewd assessment that uh, people need to do field by field. That was John Hurd. He's a crop nutrition specialist with Manitoba Agriculture. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba Agriculture says repeated rains and warm soils have led to widespread nitrogen fertilizer losses. Here's crop nutrition specialist John Hurd. Coming out of last year, a lot of the droughted area had a lot of carryover nitrogen that uh, farmers, uh, uh, we were counting on that to help feed this 2022 crop. And with the excessive moisture and snow that we had in April, uh, we we actually measured a bunch of those fields and and learned that, yes, there had been some movement of that nitrogen. Even in the clay soil, it it moved from the top six inches into the subsoil. Not a problem because we we still get most of that. But in, in average, fields were about 35 pounds less nitrogen on the clay, a lot more losses on sandy soils because uh, they, they leach quite readily. Dairy farmers Richard and Christy Lane Carr have been named as Manitoba's Outstanding Young Farmers for 2022. The pair own and operate Rich Lane Farms at Marchand in southeast Manitoba. We're so honoured to be able to even just be nominated. So to win, was just it's kind of still sinking in a little bit surreal that that actually happened. I mean, it's a great honour to be up there with all the other nominees. They were, you know, incredible operations. And, you know, I think the award could have gone any direction because they're great at what they do as well. So, yeah, we're just really excited to be able to 
receive this award and you know we're looking forward to the next steps will be to go to the national outstanding young farmers competition so we're excited to look forward to that the national competition takes place in saskatoon in november the other nominees this year were tyson martins of cola and harley siemens of rosenort and 4-h canada has announced a renewed partnership commitment with cargill which is investing over $450,000 in the 4-H movement across Canada by 2024. The partnership will focus on multiple levels of support for 4-H members and organizations across Canada in the coming two years, from grassroots to provincial agencies to national events. In addition, Cargill is directing $90,000 to provincial 4-H organizations over the next two years to support grassroots programming in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Egg Wire for Tuesday, June 21st. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glenda Lee Allen Bossler focuses in on the 2022 wheat midge outlook. Farmers are busy scouting for insects. On the show today, Glenda Lee Allen Vossler talks with Dr. Tyler Wist, an entomologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Saskatoon. Today, they focus on the 2022 wheat midge outlook. Let's start out by taking a look at the wheat midge forecast maps and set the stage for us. What are we looking at here this year? Well, we can summarize the 2022 wheat midge forecast as green almost across the board and green is good we use the green color to signify that the wheat midge levels should be below any kind of economic thresholds so uh of course those those redder colors so yellow orange verging on a red those are the colors that you want to avoid um or if you're in an area where those colors are showing up that's when you really want to be um you really want to be looking for wheat midge in your fields and maybe thinking about choosing a midge-tolerant wheat. A little bit of yellow showing up in that, that Camrose area in Alberta and a little in the, the north-central region of Saskatchewan here as well? What those yellow regions then are signifying is that wheat midge were found in the ground. Both Alberta and Saskatchewan, uh, the provinces run a monitoring program and they'll go out to, ooh, it's, it's uh, close to 400 fields in a lot of cases. And they will dig up, using a soil core, they'll dig up wheat edge cocoons. And then they bring those back to the lab and they'll wash them out. It's a very labor-intensive process. But what it gives you is an estimate of the number of overwintering cocoons that are happening in those fields. And so... If you've got those redder type colors happening, it means you've got more overwintering cocoons that haven't been parasitized by the main parasitoid. The parasitoid, if uh, one of those cocoons is found parasitized, it's not going to be a viable wheat midge, and so it doesn't make it onto the wheat midge forecast. The maps look a lot better this year than last year. They sure do. 2021 was looking really worrisome, so... Those would have been, the forecast is made on the soil cores that were taken in the fall of 2020. And 2021 looked like it could be bad in areas where the environment was conducive to wheat midge development. And so we actually started a pheromone monitoring project in conjunction with 
sea can, and uh, we had pheromone traps in a lot of those areas that uh, were showing up as redder on the maps. And in those areas that were redder, so they were being forecasted as having high wheat midge populations, those did emerge if there was significant rainfall in uh, the springtime. So through May, we usually look for about 25 millimeters of rain, and that kickstarts the development of the wheat midge larvae in the ground. And if they don't get that, they'll stay in the ground. And uh, they don't come out and don't attack the wheat heads that year. So down in the uh, kind of southeastern part of the province, we had a really significant rainfall in May. There was a couple of days where you got about 68 millimeters over a couple of days. And that rainfall kick-started the production of wheat midge and they came out of the grounds. Whereas up in the northeastern part of Saskatchewan, they had they had 32 millimeters of rain through May, but it was just in little tiny rainfalls and it didn't really significantly soak the ground. And the wheat midge didn't emerge up in those areas. So the forecast Generally, when we're talking about wheat midge, we tend to see them start moving around late June, early July. So what I always say is if you're scouting for wheat midge, it's that same weekend that you want to be at the lake celebrating (laughs) Canada Day. So it is the last week in June and the first week in July where you really want to be watching out for wheat midge. So our Midge Busters Pheromone Monitoring Network, they're putting up their traps on the 20th of June, so that is this coming Monday. And uh, yeah, we'll start reporting by next Thursday, so we'll know if wheat midge emergence has started. Now, the uh, there's forecasting that's also done by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, and you can find that on the Prairie Pest Monitoring website and in their emails. And what that does is it uses rainfall plus the soil temperature to predict wheat midge emergence. And so you can also use those maps to help you with your scouting decisions to understand when you need to be out in those fields. Now, don't forget that the susceptible stage for wheat, um, susceptible to wheat midge, is that where the boot splits up until about anthesis. So if you're looking at staging that Zadox stage 51 to about 59 and if you don't see any heads in your field, you don't have to worry about wheat midge. Merge before your field is headed out. Perfect. Then you've got, you've got a, then your wheat has uh, not reached that susceptible stage when the wheat midge are out. But we can have successive waves of wheat midge based on the uh, rainfall that you've got. So if you've had a few kind of big rainfalls, maybe spaced out a week apart, you might also have emergence of wheat midge that happen a week apart. So that's always something to watch for too. Economic threshold with these? All right. So you're standing in your field and your field is susceptible. You are staring in one spot. If you see one little orange fly on one of those five heads, you are at your yield threshold. So at that point, you can lose about 15% yield to wheat midge. Now, don't just look in one spot in your field. Go around and have a look in a lot of different spots. If uh, if you're if you're starting, 
next to where your last year's wheat field was, you might have a higher density of wheat midge in that edge because the wheat midge are coming out of last year's wheat field. So keep that in mind too when you're doing your scouting. So you want to do a few different spots and it's an average. So if you've got an average of one on those five heads, you're at your yield threshold. Now, if you're at an average of one on 10 heads, that's your grade threshold. And why we look at that is when you take your grain to the elevator, you can get downgraded in grade um, if you have too much wheat midge damage to your seeds. And so one in 10 heads will help you maintain that number one grade that I imagine you're looking for. I've been talking with Dr. Tyler West, a research scientist of field crop entomology with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada out of Saskatoon. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen-Bossler. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to farmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen-Bossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Ag Wire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The Miami Agricultural Society is celebrating its 25th annual rodeo along with the 113th annual fair June 25th and 26th. Miami 4-H Beef Club will be hosting their inter-club judging competition Friday evening and an open 4-H beef show on Saturday. The Roland 4-H Museum is open throughout July and August. The hours are 1 to 4 p.m. Call 204-343-2061 for appointments or for more information. Manitoba Crop Diagnostic School is being held July 5th through to the 8th at the University of Manitoba E&R Morrison Research Farm in Carmen. Sessions take place from 8.30 until 3, the cost $175. Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is hosting a workshop entitled Health Check for Your Pasture and Soil July 6th. The cost is $30, and you can register on the MFGA website. Souris River Watershed District is holding its annual banquet July 7th at the Hartney Community Hall. Tickets are $50. It's time now for the Bean Report, brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. Joining us today is production specialist Jennifer mccomb Teru. We had a wide range of seeding dates this year for all crops, including our pulse and soybeans. There's a lot of variability for crop staging, and priorities. With this heat, crops are changing quickly, but soybeans are mainly ranging from VE, the emergent stage where the cotyledons have pulled through the soil, to V1, which is the first unrolled trifoliate leaf. Field peas from V2, the second node stage, to V6, the sixth node stage, and dry beans from VC to V1. What do farmers need to know about herbicide timing? Starting with field peas, you know, there's an important window up until and including V6. This is where the majority of post-emergent herbicides can be applied. Many fields are getting close to V6 or have passed this stage. Past V6, there are other options available, but it is more limited. So it is important to be able to properly stage field peas, as scale leaf nodes are not included for staging for herbicide timing. These scale leaf nodes can be below ground, above ground, or one above and one below ground. They are smaller than true node leaves and branches may develop from them. So to properly understand field piece staging, you need to grab your trowel to see where the scale leaf nodes are located and count your true node leaves from there. A true node leaf is only counted in staging if the clam leaf is fully opened. It's also important to base your staging off the majority of the plants in the field. 
First, learning how to stage BLPs can be tricky. We have more information in our upcoming Dean report, or reach out to myself or Laura with any questions on this. With the heat, we have seen good growth in soybeans, but also weeds. Although with soybeans, we have a wider window of application for post-emergent herbicide timing. It's always a good idea to manage and target weeds while they are small, well exposed, and earlier on in the critical weed-free period to maintain yield potential. With these conditions, pulse and soybean crops are changing quickly. It's an important time to be scouting for weed pressure and crop staging for herbicide timing. And finally, uh, Jennifer, talk to us here about uh, post-emergent rolling. So some fields were not rolled after seeding due to time constraints and field conditions just not being suitable. So post-emergent rolling is an option and is something to consider if your field requires it. So post-emergent rolling for soybeans target the V1 stage when all plants have grown past the hook and have not yet reached V3. These stages elevate the risk of breakage. Ensure on a warm day and during the hottest part of the day, 25 degrees plus weather, where the plants are most flexible. Do not roll in the morning when the plant trigger pressure is high, which can cause plants to snap. Try to travel with the rows and make sure to stop and check the plants. Field peas can also be rolled post-emergent. Field peas are not as susceptible to breakage as soybeans since the epicaudal is first to emerge for field peas and the hypocaudal is first to emerge for soybean plants. Field peas can be safely rolled until the second to third node stages. So if you did not get the chance to roll after seeding, post-emergent rolling can be an option depending on crop staging and conditions. Thanks, Jennifer. Jennifer McComb-Taru is a production specialist with Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. The Bean Report is brought to you by Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers. You can find out more at manitobapulse.ca. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Dairy farmers Christy Lane and Richard Carr have been named as Manitoba's Outstanding Elk Farmers for 2022. The couple own and operate Rich Lane Farms at Marchand in southeast Manitoba. It's a great honour, very privileged, flattered to be nominated. Uh, to be in that room with all those other young farmers and hear their incredible stories, it was uh, quite the event to be at. Yeah, we're just very excited to go represent Manitoba at the Nationals. The National Competition takes place in Saskatoon in November. The other nominees this year were Tyson Martins of Cola and Harley Siemens of Rosenort. Farmers are dealing with widespread nitrogen fertilizer losses due to repeated rains and warm soils. John Hurd is with Manitoba Agriculture. A real problem is once our clay or any soil actually gets waterlogged and standing water on it, uh, then nitrogen, once it's in that nitrate form, uh, the soil bugs run out of oxygen and then they start using our nitrogen and they gas it off as N2 gas, which is of no use to the farmer. Those losses can be pretty high in Manitoba conditions. When the soils are cool, we lose two to four pounds of nitrogen a day under those saturated soils. And it's even greater than that once the soils warm up. And 4-H Manitoba has announced the recipients of the 2022 Leaders of Tomorrow Scholarships. Manitoba government established a million-dollar endowment fund with the Brandon Area Community Foundation, which provided $42,500 for scholarships this year. Four current and former 4-H Manitoba members were selected to receive scholarships towards their post-secondary education. 
The leaders of Tomorrow Scholarships were awarded in honor and recognition of four long-serving leaders. This year's winners were Caitlin Crow at the University of Manitoba, receiving $12,500 in honor of Sandra Duchak, Gainsborough Combined 4-H Club. Christina Caldwell at Brandon University will receive $10,000 in honor of Norma Wood from the Morden Achievers 4-H Club. Emily Robb at the University of Manitoba will receive $10,000 in honor of the late Pat Baker, Newdale 4-H Club. And Caleb Finez at the University of Winnipeg will receive $10,000 in honor of Eleanor Penner, Steinbach Sizzlers 4-H Club. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll take a look at this week's crop report. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.